Welcome to the first ISTC podcast of 2018 with me, Derek Cooper. In this issue, we'll be hearing from some of the people who attended TCUK 2017 in Nottingham last September and who kindly agreed to share their thoughts and experiences of the conference. TCUK 2017 was also the venue for the ISTC's annual general meeting when we voted in Carol Leahy as the new president. I'll be talking with Carol later on in the podcast, but to kick off this issue, we'll be hearing from Alison Peck, our previous president. I asked Alison what originally prompted her to take on the role of ISTC president. Um, It was really a case of the next step in progression. I'd been looking after professional development and recognition for a little while, and felt I needed a change from that. And I had got lots of ideas that I wanted to to implement, and it felt that the, the best way of, of doing that and also supporting other people to do what they were trying to do was to step up and do the president's role. Because it's a very different um, way of working within council than having a defined area of responsibility. It's much, it's much broader. You, you've got a finger in every single pie, haven't you, and- Yes, and an overview, which is mm. quite nice as well. You know, you, you tend to be a, a... We're pretty good at our meetings at sharing information anyway, mm. but you do tend to be the person who everybody runs things past. So you've got an overview if different areas are working on things that might overlap or or might have some connection with each other. So, so you know, it's useful to... Ha- it's, it's vital to have somebody in that role, I think. Um, and that's one of the things that... Uh, I found was an important part of the role. So what were your main goals then? My main goals were were to widen the recognition of technical communication and the ISTC, both within and outside of the profession. So that was the, the, the very broad brush aim and objective that I had. So that, for example, people leaving university were more aware of it as a career at mm. one end of the scale. And people who were working as technical authors but didn't either didn't know they were or even had that job title but didn't know the ISTC existed, perhaps would be more likely to come across us. And they, they were kind of the broad-reaching aims that I had. It was all about raising our profile. There is certainly a lot, of, a lot more awareness of uh, the ISTC and the profession. But there is obviously still a lot uh, yet to be done. There's a lot to be done, and Carol is the right person for the for the job, because one of the things that I wanted to do but didn't manage to do was to raise our profile with people at the other end of the scale, with the, with the people leaving university or even the people entering university. So they had some idea that this was a potential career path. Um, and although we attended a few careers fairs at specific places, it is nice to have someone who's closer to that age range and therefore has colleagues closer to that age as well who look at it from a slightly different perspective. I'm at the end of my career now, so though I can explain to people what it's like and has been like over the years, it's a much more distant memory for me what it was like to start out. Certainly when I started, as, as I myself was, a lot of technical communicators were second it was a second career. They'd spent time either as software developers or engineers or in the armed services or or whatever their initial um, career path had been. 
and either through circumstances or happenstance they discovered that they started to be the person in the team who did the documentation and the communication they found they had an aptitude for it and they drifted drifted is probably the best way of putting it across into technical communication and then a little bit later discovered that that's what they were doing and i think that was a very very common way of people getting into the profession i'm hoping that we have more now who are coming into it as a first career as a far more active choice rather than a drift into and that isn't to, to put down anybody who's drifted in because they bring all that life experience with them. And those people include myself. But it, it is nice to think that people are actively pursuing it as a career rather than falling into it. It would be really good if we had another university training course, wouldn't it, in, in the UK? It would. It would be fantastic. I mean, the closest we've got at the moment is in Limerick in Ireland, That's geographically right. closest, I mean which is fine, but it is still a good distance away. Um, it would be nice to have something locally. Again, it's, it's finding the time to investigate these things and try and encourage, because I have a feeling, and I know other people have looked into it a little bit as well, that a lot of universities have one or two modules that are related. And if you combine mm. those together in different areas, so one of the English modules and one of the IT modules and one of the... Me- um, engineering modules and something else you would probably put together a degree but it's finding then somebody to teach it mm. accredit it and all those other things you know it's, it's not a thing that someone can just wave a magic wand and it happens and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy we don't have a degree therefore nobody's looking for graduates therefore mm. people aren't looking to take a degree you know to study a degree in that particular subject do you think there's any mileage in trying to introduce the idea of a mandatory qualification in technical communication in order to to become a technical communicator? It's a difficult one. I think there are also so many jobs in this country where you don't need that mandatory qualification. I know a lot of software developers who do not have a degree in computer science uh, I know one very experienced software developer whose degree was in, I think it was in botany, of mm. all things, but started to develop databases to hold her results and discovered that she had an aptitude for software development and programming. And, and it, in the same way as I drifted into technical communication, she drifted into software development. Mm. And the problem I have is this, this tension between wanting it to be a profession and well-qualified and that also helps with the recognition, but possibly losing people who are extremely talented purely because they don't have that qualification. So it's that balance, isn't it, between the two and how you would introduce it when the vast majority of technical communicators in the UK do not have a qualification. So, you know, that that could be very difficult to introduce. I mean, other other professions have done it. For a long time, teachers at unit, lecturers at university didn't have a teaching qualification. Or if they did, it was seen as an optional and nice to have extra. But Mm. now they are introducing, as I understand it, Mm. um, more and more um, HE lecturers actually have a teaching qualification in higher education. But there are still vast ways who don't. So you can make these changes, but it's not going to happen overnight. No, of course not. The problem with the ISTC getting involved in something like that, much as I think we're ideally placed to advise and and guide, we don't have the resources. It's not necessarily the expertise, but we don't have the resources to do any of this ourselves. Hmm. 
So we can't set up courses and run them and teach people. Although we have the expertise, we can't teach people, we can't do the examinations because we don't have the resources. It's one of those catch-22 situations, unfortunately. Back to the uh, the presidential role, then. Can you remember any personal highlights? From the point of view of personal highlights, I absolutely loved giving out the awards for the Technical Communication Awards. People were so thrilled to receive them. Um, quite often they'd entered because they'd been encouraged to do so. They weren't sure whether their work would be considered um, good enough to, to win an award. They were without even of entering. And the delight and the, the pride that you could see in people when they, they had won or received a merit in a category was, was wonderful. It was worth all the effort and hard work hmm. organising um, that, that was put in by the ISTC in organising the event. That was fantastic. So that's one. I like the fact that we now have recognition and different ways that our members, particularly those at member and fellow grade, have of announcing to the world that that's who they are. So we have the, the concept of being a certified fellow and a certified member to point out that it's not just pay your money and you get a place. You do actually have to pass a vetting procedure to become a member or a fellow of the ISTC. I like the fact that more and more people are using the letters FISTC and MISTC. Um, mm -hmm. that, that seems to be a good way forward. And it's, it's, it feels as if the ISTC is finally moving in to the, the, this century. It's taken a while, but I think we're getting there. We, we, you know, the materials we produce and we provide are becoming more and more professional as time goes on. And I think the image that the ISTC itself projects is helping to raise the profile of the profession as a whole. Our videos on YouTube and mm. the Twitter accounts and the podcasts, that, that, you know, such as the one that you, you, we're recording now, all help raise the profile of the ISTC, but it's not, it's not the traditional leaflet and static information and in itself the promotional material we're doing and the way we communicate now is in itself an advertisement for the things that a te good technical communicator can do if that makes sense yes it does thank you uh, conversely then have there been any disappointments for you i think the disappointments aren't specific to the ISTC, uh, the biggest one is that of all the things, the vision that I had when I started at the beginning of my my term of office, I probably achieved about 30% of them. And I think that's because we are a volunteer run organisation. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a is both a huge benefit because the people who are running the ISTC are practitioners. So we are we're not just aware because we've been told, we are aware because we've experienced all the issues that a technical communicator trying to work in, in this day and age in the UK is facing. And I think that's a huge bonus and a huge plus for the ISTC. But the flip side of that is that we all have families, jobs, mm. other responsibilities, and we're doing our work for the ISTC as volunteers. And because of that... It, things take longer than you imagine they would, and and that isn't. There's nothing we can do about that. So that's probably the biggest disappointment personally. And I think the other one is the same for all organisations. The number of people who are actively involved, the number, the percentage of technical communicators who are members of the ISTC is small. I would like to see that much bigger. I'm disappointed we're not haven't been able to grow that. I think that's probably my other 
big disappointment. But even of those, the number who are actively involved is quite tiny. So That's it's a small true. percentage of a small percentage. And I don't necessarily mean those who are actively involved in the sense of doing a job and being on council, but even those who are actively involved in, in the sense of occasionally posting on the forum or even thinking of the ISTC as the place to go to for advice mm. or, you know, and anything at all, really. And I think that, that those are the two sort of main disappointments. I think what you have to do sometimes is when you think you haven't done very much, is actually stop and look at how much you have done. And I don't mean as an individual, I mean as, as an organisation. Um, I joined council in 2008, I think it was, mm. I first joined council. And since then, the changes have been tremendous. I mean, we've completely reorganised how we're managed. We've got the um, awards have been relaunched and rebranded. We've got accredited courses. We've got the certification of members and fellows. We're constantly reviewing the resources that we provide. So that we have actually done a lot, considering it's all volunteer effort. Right. Oh, and of course, conference. That was one of the <laughs> biggest changes in that period of time as well. And there are more to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, you've been um, giving some advice to our new president. Is, is there anything that, uh, along those lines that you can share with us at all? Or is it all secret handshake type stuff? Oh, none of it's secret handshake type stuff. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I've said to Carol has been to constantly find out how people are doing. Um, it, sometimes it's an active thing. You actually have to ask. But many, many of the council members are very good at just letting you know. But just being aware if someone's working on a project and you haven't heard from them for a while, is everything okay? Do they need any help? Do they need any support? It was one of the things I tried to do as president because I didn't have a portfolio of my own, as it were. I offered myself as a resource for if anyone needed any help with their project, um, please feel free to ask. And it was just a way of trying to keep in touch with what was going on and find out what the issues and the difficulties were. Thanks, Alison, for everything you've done for the ISTC while in the President's role and for joining us for this podcast. TC UK 2017 seems such a long time ago now and we are well on the way to preparing for the next conference. More about that a little later. But first, let's hear some of the comments and thoughts of delegates and presenters who were happy to share those with us from TC UK 2017. So my name is uh, Marie-Laure Blanc. I come uh, from France. I chose this uh, uh, subject and uh, how to uh, stay on topic on stage in a world where uh, uh, the attention spam is uh, very uh, reduced mm. because there are more and more PowerPoint presentations uh, everywhere mm. and very often um, speakers are totally disconnected to their uh, audience yes. and it's a shame because uh, speakers have very important things to communicate to their audience and audience are looking to uh, improve their skills mm. to share uh, something with speakers so I really feel there is a, a gap to fill there and uh, my purpose is to uh, 
help speakers to uh, access their true soul of uh, speakers mm. and to uh, communicate their value their, to, uh, to their audience. Okay. Would you be interested in coming back in the future for a TCUK conference again? Oh, definitely. I was right. so uh, honoured when I received the, the email by Claire Kelly. Uh, oh, right. I think it took me one week to say yes, <laughs> I confirm it. <laughs> one week after she said, are you, are you coming? I was just there. Oh, my God. Oh, right. it's, uh, I'm so happy to come. Uh, well, was this yes. your first time? It yeah. is my first oh, time, right. definitely. Okay. And yeah. uh, I really uh, enjoy the contacts. I ha and it's very important. I mean, the, the contacts with the uh, um, organization uh, mm. people, such as Claire Kelly, mm. and uh, you really feel safe. And every time you have a question, or something, and they say, well, you'll have the configuration of the room will be like this, you'll have access to that and that. And as a speaker, uh, to know that you have a team of professionals mm. uh, around you is, well, you know where you're going because you have enough dealing with, oh my God, my audience, uh, what should mm. I, what should my content be, the people preparing, and you know you have this professional people around. It is very, very important. and I, really appreciate uh, all the contacts I had with uh, mm. uh, ISTC uh, throughout um, oh, that's the good of you to say that. I'll <laughs> that pass that message here. on to <laughs> Yeah, to definitely, definitely. And, and the delegates are very friendly as well. It's a friendly conference. Yes. Yeah. Yesterday I attended the first uh, dinner and uh, it was real fun. People mm. get on very well and, it's, uh, and you learn so much. Mm. Um, I really appreciated that. This is Francis Gordon and I co-founded Simplified in 2005. We are a plain language consultancy and training firm and we are founded, our headquarters are in Johannesburg, South Africa. We've got offices in London, we've got training happening in Portugal, um, in Kenya and in Nigeria. I asked Francis whether jargon was always a bad thing. All language is developed for a reason, so all language must be good in some way. And jargon has a very important function. Um, that function is as a shortcut. So when you have a group of people all talking about something that they have a common understanding of, jargon is very useful to save time to be, and to be actually more precise. The danger of jargon is, of course, when not everybody has the same interpretation of the word or if you want to welcome new kinds of people into the group that may not understand what that jargon term means. I think there's a lot of emotion behind jargon and we all have a lot of fear and that's why when I talk about jargon I like talking about psychology because I think that we're all terrified of admitting that we don't know what something means. Um, I've done exercises within organisations where I've asked everybody to write down what they mean by a particular term. The most recent one I did was um, about SaaS, software as a service. Everybody talks about it. It's really obvious what it means, isn't it? But I got together a group of fintech investors and entrepreneurs and I asked them what does SaaS mean? And did you know they all have slightly different <laughs> interpretations of it? This is some of the danger of jargon is sometimes we think we're all on the same page, but we're actually not on the same page. Um, so we can often misunderstand uh, what, what, uh, what actually jargon really means. What about idioms? I think that you do get that a lot within English in specific because there's so many different kinds of English. Hmm. Um, and I think that the use of metaphor or idiom is a problem when you're dealing across 
borders and with different cultures and with different first language environments which all contribute to the idioms that that you're talking about. Um, I've had a particular case of an idiom that I found very interesting when I moved to the UK and I got a, an email and it talked about um, something that was a starter for 10. And I, I thought that the people were talking about £10,000 a starter right. for £10,000, it made no sense in the context and I yeah. didn't know how to answer it. And I went, why are we putting a number to mm. this particular programme? Mm. We haven't even don't know what the programme is. And we had this strange email conversation and then finally I realised there must be something to the starter of 10 and I googled it and I found out that it was a game show mm, in England right. in I think the 90s or 80s or, or something I had no recollect mm. I had no idea what starter for 10 is mm. so that's an example of a metaphor that for my peers um, in the UK it is completely obvious what it means for me mm. it was like a foreign language I had no idea what what was saying and it actually wasted a whole lot of our time mm. <laughs> going across emails and emails because I made an assumption that the other party was trying to put putting prices on things <laughs> and you know it was, it was a huge confusion and I think this can happen. And thank goodness we were in a conversation of email. The danger, of course, is that when there's a help file or a contract or something where you um, give somebody the information and there's no conversation. Mm. So that misunderstanding lives there yes. <laughs> forever yes. because there's no chance to correct it. Exactly. And, and that's why we try and steer away from, from um, idiom, from metaphor and so on. Mm. Phil Lane from uh, Imprimator, based in Godalming in Surrey. I know you've been to TCUK yep. many times before. What is it you're getting from us? It's a good chance um, to get in touch with people who uh, are, are contemporaries in the industry, who are doing the same thing as us, uh, as a sounding board, and, and sort of get ideas um, and share ideas. But it's also a good, uh, good way to get in touch with potential customers for us hmm. um, and offer our services and make people a bit more aware. Yeah. How could we do this better from your point of view? Uh, I think the conference is a really good conference. Um, one thing I'd noticed about this year's schedule in particular, um, there are a couple of clashes on events where, mm. where things seem to be the same topic happening almost at the same time. Mm. Um, and I know it's difficult when, when to, to schedule, but um, maybe that's something that, that would be a suggestion. Mm, okay. Uh, have you been participating in any of the uh, presentations? Yeah, when there's time. Obviously, when <laughs> we're busy on the booth, we uh, uh, end up in some conversations. But yeah, certainly get to talk to them this time. Okay. It's a good place to sort of garner ideas and see what other people... Uh, and thought leaders and experts in the mm. fields are, are thinking and, and doing about and where they might be going next um, see if that aligns with some of our, our ideas uh, and potentially um, yeah, sometimes we disagree but sometimes we think that's great and, and, it and is good, isn't it? good. Uh, yeah. uh, and what about other conferences we do a fair, fair few um, around Europe so visit LavaCon over in Dublin mm. um, come to the T- TCUK also go to TCOM in Germany mm. uh, uh, and our partner conference, the Schema Conference uh, in Nuremberg, um, and, and TCK has got a really good focus uh, of delegates who are not necessarily the largest conference that we visit, but it is um, a very high quality uh, level of people to speak to, and you get good opinions uh, and people that people that know their stuff. So yeah, I'm John Kearney. Um, I've been a technical author for the frightening amount of time, nearly 20 years now. Um, I came to technical authoring through uh, basically being a failed academic 
I was doing English and classics and did a master's in English, but I wasn't able to obtain funding to do a PhD, but I had a lot of technical friends who were studying science degrees and IT and so on who kept asking me to help with the documentation. And so I found out what a technical author was, went into that career. And then in 2009, I came to my first conference, which was the, the newly relaunched and rebranded TCUK 2009. And uh, I'm pleased to say I've only missed one since, which was last year, unfortunately. Um, but so I'm very happy to be back. You worked in ARM for a while, mm -hmm. which is an overtly technical company. Yes. You just explained you, you don't have an overtly technical background uh, qualification-wise. How did you find that experience? That's, that's a, a really good question because um, throughout my career I have occasionally run up against the barrier of people saying, well, you don't have the domain knowledge for this. Um, but the fact is I've worked in um, fintech, I've worked in uh, IT security and uh, some government departments, uh, I've worked in really quite advanced software development environments and of course in ARM where I was helping um, with a lot of editorial and standards and structure uh, rather than necessarily the intricacies of the uh, processes and so on, the, the processor design. But um, communicate, good communication is good communication and the ability to understand how to translate um, English into English mm. uh, is the way I put it. Uh, is a skill which is independent of being a domain expert. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it's an advantage to come from a completely fresh viewpoint and say, so you're using all these jargon terms, as mm. Francis Gordon was talking about. That's not accessible. Mm. Let's, let's explain that. Let's understand what the user requires from that. So um, I've always found it personally a little bit of an advantage to have that approach. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think um, it's not always understood. And quite often there is a pressure to say, well, you have to understand the product back to, back to back. But that's what the subject matter experts are for. Mm. They're to hold that, all that information. And obviously you will pick up this knowledge as you work with them. But understanding and communicating that mm. to other people, I think, is the, the sort of key part of our role. Mm. And having the right personalities around you that mm. can explain clearly and sympathetically when you really do need to understand the technical detail that mm. did you find that was the case uh, now? absolutely um, and also you you have to adapt to work with people with these different personalities mm. so um, this is an example I often give when I was in the civil service I was asked for a couple of weeks to work with a technical expert on cryptography mm. and he produced an 80 page report for a government department um, and that's all I can actually say about it. Mm. But the project manager said, this is, this is indigestible. So I sat with him and I found that, and he was incredibly clever, and I found that if I could just phrase a question correctly while I was editing this document, I'd come across it. And if I just, it's almost like a, if I popped the right question in, he would churn out a perfectly formed answer. Mm. And we cut it down to 40 pages, mm. which was great. Um, and... But as a communications expert, which is what I really think technical authors or content designers are, whatever you want to call us, you really do learn to communicate with people with these different personalities and these different needs and whether they're extroverted in one sense or introverted or they think of themselves as visual communicators or however it happens to be. It's a constant learning process. Mm.
I asked John about the relative importance of both conventional intelligence and emotional intelligence. It's obviously important to have a degree of that, uh, a strong degree of that, to be a good technical author. But I think emotional intelligence is very important. And if you don't have that emotional intelligence and that ability to empathise and engage, mm. you will be what is very often a very old-fashioned view of a technical author, who is somebody who sits and, and takes the product and writes what they think the user needs and puts it out the door mm. and doesn't address the content or user experience design or whatever you want to call it, does mm. not address that at all. Um, I mean, I remember I've, I've talked with, with people sometimes in quite large departments of technical authors and they insist that our users want to do it this way because that's the way we've always done it. And I say, when was the last time you asked a user? <laughs> and the answer is usually that they haven't. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it, it's, it's very important. It's, it's, I'd say it was almost... I, mean, I was just in um, uh, Jen's talk from mm. uh, GDS and uh, Jen Lamborn, and that was uh, fascinating. And she was talking about the balance of... Because she had to go out and do this user research mm. because her user researcher was not available and she found almost her enthusiasm was a little too uh, much and, mm. and that was kind of reflecting on, on the research and, mm. and you can be too helpful to a user you're interviewing and yes. say do you think this would help when mm. actually you need them to tell you yes. what would help because yeah. the natural so, tendency is for them to agree with you yeah. just to keep things moving exactly yeah. exactly yeah. yeah absolutely okay so after you left arm then you, you moved on and um, did you take anything with you any of the experience that you built with arm any new ideas that you developed from arm and adapt them and merge them with um, what you were doing subsequently yeah I mean you you're always learning in this job mm. um, you are always learning and um, I was great experience I got um, some practical experience of ditter mm. um, and uh, a good understanding of the fact that it's not actually as complex as a lot of people make it out to be. It is simply an implementation of topic-based authoring, yeah. and you know, that—that's you know, what it is. And also, I understood very much from Arm that technical solutions are all very well, but unless you have cultural solutions or cultural engagement, you aren't going to. You, mm. can, you can you can say to people, "Here's a nice shiny new tool, and you should use this to write." But if that requires you to write in a different way to how you used to. You will either force the tool to do what you want it to do, mm. and it won't. But you won't benefit from it, uh, or you will get people to simply refusing, mm. or so on. So I, I, I think it improved my understanding of that need for cultural engagement. Um, and my, my contract after that was with a company called Biovia, and it was covering uh, maternity leave for somebody who I actually met at TCUK in Brighton, oh, right. uh, who contacted me and asked me to come and cover her maternity leave. And that was working on two applications, which were to do with chemical and biological registration, copyright, and chemical and phys physics modelling. Mm. And again, subjects I know very little about. Mm. Some incredibly intelligent people. Mm. Um, and having to engage with all the different ways that they did things. And the two teams, the two applications, worked in very different ways. And, uh, of course, ARM, lots of very... I've worked in the IT team for a while, very different environment. Mm, sure. So, yeah, it's, it's, always, it's always a learning process and learning to engage with people in different mm. ways. And the company that I've just started contracting with, PSI International, um, they have a situation where they don't actually have a style guide. Mm. Um, so they're going to need me 
to help them with that. And when I was in the ARM IT department, mm. I created a style guide mm. specifically aimed at IT content because I very much believe you can't just say to people, here's a style guide, it applies for all your situations, for all your content. It's just not going to work. Mm. You need something that helps the people who are going to write the content to write the content that they need, that, that's a speci- address the specific user needs. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. Now, earlier on, you were talking about um, making contact with somebody at TCUK in Brighton, mm-hmm. and that led to a, um, a, a maternity leave cover. Um, now, obviously, TCUK is a, a tremendous networking opportunity. Yes. Um, you missed out on it last year, which is a shame because it was uh, it, it was at Y Boston Lakes and uh, quite local too. Uh, yes, yes. Um, are we going to see you in, at, at future conferences? Are you making a point of, of coming? Absolutely, absolutely. Can, can we ask you to do a presentation, perhaps, <laughs> or a workshop? Nothing like putting me on the spot. Um, I've, <laughs> I've one of the things I've done this year is I've promised myself that I will start making notes now about any articles or presentations or workshops that I might want to give in the future. Mm. And I absolutely will be um, putting together something um, to, to, to present, hopefully, maybe a workshop, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, but hopefully something next year. Hopefully it'll be accepted. Mm. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, but even if it's not, um, I'll come. I'll do my absolute level best to come. And uh, Because you just can't, you cannot put a value mm on establishing relationships with people and even if it doesn't lead to work today um, no yesterday I tweeted uh, when Ellis gave a talk Mm. he was talking about Zendesk and uh, um, about people using Zendesk for documentation and I mentioned something on Twitter about the fact that a company I've just worked with their marketing person has been writing user documentation and putting it in Zendesk and that I'm going to have to look at working with that and he replied saying oh we at TechSmith use Flare and mm. integrate it with Zendesk to publish the docs to. Mm. Would you like to talk to somebody at TechSmith about how we've done that? Mm. So really? all of a sudden, just based on my previous previous relationship with, with Matt, who's a mm. great guy, and meeting him here and going to Alice's talk and tweeting about it, I have a possible solution to mm. a technical problem, which I was going to face. Mm. Excellent. So, all right. You can't put a value on it. My name is Andrew Mills. I'm a senior information developer at ARM in Cambridge, and as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm originally from Northern Ireland. <laughs> so, could, could you tell us what your history is of, um, of attending TCUK? That was my very first one ever. Was it? Yes. And you dropped yourself right in it? Right in it with sessions. a workshop and a presentation. So You're going to go and go deep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what's, what was your impression of the experience? Yeah, it was good. It was enjoyable. There was a, a lot to learn. It was um, obviously biting off quite a lot to chew with regards to your presentation in a workshop, so I hadn't quite focused on everyone else's presentations as much as I wanted to, so I wasn't sure what to actually go and, uh, and did, did it meet your expectations? Were, were there any problems that you encountered? I uh, wouldn't say so much problem. I, th- I think, like we, we mentioned in one of the meetings, it would have been quite nice to have maybe been some pairing on workshops and presentations so presentation would precede mm. a workshop for example if they were close sort of subject matters mm. for example 
Um, but other than that, um, no problems at all. But I can see the, the the venue was good. It was good to meet all the sort of the people that were doing the stands and yeah. these, and getting to meet a lot of other tech authors. Yeah. So tell us what the the subject was. That uh, the presentation or the workshop? The presentation. Uh, that was on the art. Uh, it's in the game, sort of creating strategy guides for video games. Mm. So that was my first foray into the world of authoring, which technically started when I was about 12, <laughs> unofficially. And then on an official professional basis, kind of started about 14 years ago, mm. writing guides for video games. What do you see as the future of video gaming? Where is it going to go from here? As in from a guide authoring perspective? or Whichever way you prefer to, to address it. Uh, from a guide authoring, like I mentioned, I'd quite like to see like a live analytical sort of experience where it knows where you're stuck, it opens up at the chapter and knows exactly what collectibles you've missed, and it can analyse your play style and say if you're mm. trying to beat a boss and you keep doing the same thing wrong, it can analyse what you're doing wrong and kind of give you hints and tips at a level that you want. Mm. So it could be just basic tips or a complete downright, here's just how to do it. It's like context-sensitive. Uh, almost, like like, a, yeah. like sort of you, you decide how much help you want yeah. and it tailors the content to the level of help you've asked for. Right. And then if you're still stuck, you can manually override that and say, look, just... Mm tell me how to beat the boss seriously please um, as far as games go it, it, it's I'm kind of glad I've got out of it when I did really? it's all gone there's, there's actually quite a bit of controversy now really? as in like very recently with um, things they call loot boxes and microtransactions effectively quasi gambling is the general uh-huh. thing you pay some real money and you get some cosmetic or game enhancing items that you can no longer sell on sometimes you can sometimes you can't and that people are complaining gives them a competitive edge so Mm. it's it's like a pay to win people used to pay to you can pay to unlock better weapons stuff like that Mm. and a lot of games are bringing them on because it kind of there's like the whole dopamine thing of Mm. I put my roulette. I put my money in. What am I going to get? Oh no, I'm not going to. I'll try it again. Oh yeah. man, I'll get it again. I've got to win sometime. You're going yeah. to get, and, and the chances of winning what you, the rare things are really, really slim. Mm. So, and I think there was recent reports people have normally spent fifteen thousand dollars on a single game and stuff wow. like that. Right. Um, there's a whole big scandal about buying stuff for CS:GO when you get virtual skins for your guns, but you can sell them for real-world money. <laughs> And gamble, you're, yeah. it, it starts getting really, really crazy. So gaming, from what I know it, mm. when you could put in cheat codes and yeah. unlock stuff, it's now you unlock it with a credit card mm. and pay for pretty much everything. Um, so for me, I'm kind of glad mm. I've got out of it when I did, because I don't really play them anymore. I've kind of done my time with them. Yeah. Um, but I think I've got out of a good time, because yeah. now they're not what I remember them and if I look at games now I think I'd rather go back to the stuff I could just play it's mm. all there it's not all downloadable content it's not patched every 10 minutes with massive mm. patches and mm. I have to pay for more of the experience it's there yeah. and it's finished OK going back to uh, TCUK then would you do it again to present at one? yeah yeah actually surprisingly in- enjoyed it for um, I thought it was, it was quite interesting that when I first doing the workshop I thought it was for some reason I thought it was an hour long and I yeah. thought, okay, fine. And then a week before, I realised it was three hours long. And I panicked, started Shock kicking hard. in, going, okay. <laughs> and then it actually turned out that three hours was nowhere near enough. Yeah. And I could have gone for a lot longer than that. And yeah. I actually ran by half an hour unintentionally. Presentation flipped the other way. Hmm. Um, and I was done in half the time I thought I was going to be done in. And thankfully, hmm. there was enough questions to 
bring it up to up on time. But yeah, I, I could sort of pace things a little bit better next time with that experience with breaks and everything. I can gauge the content yeah. and delivery. Um, but for a first it attempt, it was, um, it was well. No, it was I, I, good. I, I I enjoyed it, and I was pleasantly surprised by the feedback that I got. It well exceeded my own personal expectations mm. on mm. it, so I'm glad that people that did attend did enjoy it, and they mm. got gladly they got something from mm. from what I could tell, which is kind of the whole point. Yes, exactly. Of it. My thanks to everyone who contributed to that discussion, and I hope we'll see you again at the next conference. Preparations for TCUK 2018 are well on track, with a venue, a date and a theme set. Please refer to the Communicator Quarterly magazine, the monthly InfoPlus newsletter and the various social media channels for information and updates. The deadline for submissions is Friday the 30th of March, after which the Programme Committee will sort through the proposals and choose a good selection to engage and interest all attendees and delegates. We intend to let people know during May whether their proposals have been accepted. And finally in this issue, we invited Carol Leahy, the new ISTC President, to tell us about her decision to stand for election to the role. Oh, that's a good question. Um... So I'll be honest, being president of the ISTC was never something that occurred to me, ever. Um, So I've been volunteering with the ISTC for about six years. um, And I never, ever thought about, you know, running for president or anything like that. um, Until Alison, um, who's the past president, rang me and and asked what I consider ringing or running for it. And I kind of thought, oh, no, I don't think so. That doesn't sound like me. I really don't think I'm I'm ready for that. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have enough experience. I'm not qualified enough. And I just went into panic mode. And I thought of all these reasons why I shouldn't do it and couldn't do it. And she was really good on the phone. And she was listening to me. And she said, well, you know, there's a lot of positives. And we had a great chat and she, you know, she gave me some great advice to, you know, go, just go and think about it for a few days. Just have a think about it and see what you think. Um, so I said, oh yeah, I will, I will. And honestly, I had no intentions of even thinking about it. I thought, oh, I'm just going to forget about that. There's no way I could do that. Um, and I went home and I talked to my husband and he just gave me a look and he's like, well, why wouldn't you run for it? And like, I think you should, it'd be a great idea. And I thought, oh, I don't know. And the more we talked about it and the more I started to really think about it, I thought, actually, you know what? This is something I, I could do. And, and the more and more I thought about it, the more I thought this is something I, I want to do, which I think is probably a bit more important. Um, and there was a lot of reasons why, but the two big ones um, were one of them was quite selfish. I think that's that's the best way of putting it. Um, I have been volunteering with the ISCC for six years and I have learned so much and done so much with them that I thought, well, running for president and if I was successful and became president, that can only be more positive and there's only more pluses there and more things that I will learn. Um, and I thought, well, that that would be good for me because everything I've done on the ISCC, it's something I don't get to do daily in my, in my work life. So mm. I thought, well, I'll definitely get something out of this. That can only be to my benefit, so that's good. 
And the other reason is, I just thought, well, there has to be a lot of people out there like me who don't really think they can do this, don't think they're qualified for things if they've only been in the industry for six years. And I kind of wanted to show those people, well, yes, you can. Mm. If it's something that you really want to do, you know, you can do it. Anyone can do it. Um, So that was another massive push for me was to show, um, especially our members of, you know, you can volunteer for these things. And and there's a lot of plus sides to volunteering for these things. And and I really wanted to show that. So they were the two big reasons, really. Once you'd given that some thought and come around to thinking that, yes, you could fill that role. What then did you develop as your, your main aims and priorities for it? Okay, well, um, I have been very lucky in that I've, um, as as long as I've been in the ISCC, there's been two presidents. So I've I've had a chance to see how, how two people approach this, this role. Um, and I have to say, I think both of them have done an amazing job. Mm. And the one thing I didn't want to do was take from that. And I didn't want to sort of go down in a completely different direction because that would have undone all the good work that they have done. So I was very conscious of, well, I kind of want to continue the the thread and the theme that they've started, which is getting uh, more uh, publicity for the ISCC, telling people who we are, what we do, um, interacting a lot more with businesses, with companies, um, and just getting our name out there, you know, not just within the UK, but internationally as well. I definitely want to keep that, uh, that alive and that going. But the other thing that I really, really want to do, and it's come a lot from attending TCUK over the years, is I just want to get to know the members a bit more, and I and I want to hear what they have to say about the society. Um, the good stuff, so the stuff of, yes, we like that you do the following, and we really like that we do this, and the negative, you know, oh, I wish you did A instead of B, or mm. why can't we do these things, and... Um, I really just want people to just come up or email me or call me and tell me these things because unfortunately mind reading is not a skill that I possess. <laughs> I really wish it was. I think it would be a superpower I would like. I think they're um, mixed blessings. Don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> of course with TCUK though there are both members and non-members there and you can you can hmm. learn from both sectors can't you really? Exactly. And, it, you know, when a lot of um, non-members at TCUK, that the big question is, well, well, why aren't you a member or what can we do to try and entice you to become a member? Like there has to be a reason other than, oh, well, we don't have the money or my company won't pay. Mm. There has to be another reason for this. There has to be a reason as to why the, why the, they won't pay. They obviously don't see the value of it. So what what is that? Why is that? Um. And the members too, I think it's important, you know, we do pay fees every year and people want to know where these fees go to and what we use them for and they want to have a say in, in, in what they're used for. And I think that they need to tell this to us because we, we don't know. It's, it's you know, a council meeting every um, couple of weeks and we all sit down and, and decide what we should do and talk about projects that are ongoing. But if members want something else they they definitely need to tell us mm. and this year i think it's it's a big priority of mine especially this year is just to get to know specifically the members a lot more and see what it is you'd like us to do um and possibly even non-members just to find out well what is it that we're missing what is the reason that that you won't join us 
Info Plus and Communicator, I mean, they're they're fantastic. Mm. You know, I think they're really, really good. And it's it's great to send them around via email or people borrow copies. It's great to hear that. You know, it means that it's working, but we don't want them just to borrow. No. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's not even just getting people to join it, the ISTC as well. It's it's talking to members and understanding why they they may not feel they're they're ready to volunteer with us or do things mm. with us or you know we have a fantastic mentoring scheme um and i've actually participated on that mentoring scheme and yeah i'll be honest that is probably one of the reasons that i am here today um you know i joined that scheme i think i was maybe two years uh into techcom and the one thing I really wanted to do was have the courage to write an article for a communicator. And I had a massive fear of, oh, it won't be good enough. Um, you know, Catherine will hate it and she'll like throw it out the window. And I just couldn't get myself to do it. I, you know, I, I, I know Catherine quite well and she's not like that at all. But no. there is that fear of, oh, but what if, what if I'm that one person who makes her really angry kind of thing? And <laughs> Uh, that that but that is the fear that's going in your head of I'm not good enough to write this, and that's why I contacted the mentoring scheme. And um, my mentor Jane, she was absolutely fantastic. She, you know, she would just talk me through the whole thing, and bit by bit, you know, she got my confidence up. And uh, I wrote an article, and she read it, and you know, we gave it to Catherine, and you know, I, I've written numerous ones for her since then, and it's it's because of that mentoring scheme it's because of that connection i had with with jane that actually gave me the courage to go and do that um, not just communicator i've i've since then i've you know sent off articles to um other journals as well and I've, I've now got the confidence to do that in myself whereas i wouldn't have had that before um and i think it's important that people know this that it's not just oh it's just a mentoring scheme it's not it's so much more than that and you can really get out of it you know whatever you put in and if you go with a specific goal in mind of what you want to do you can actually achieve that uh and you know I still stay in touch with Jane you know my, my mentoring days and you know we've we've gone past that now and I don't need her as a mentor anymore but we still stay in touch mm. and we still you know email each other every now and then just catching up seeing how things are um so you know it's it's nice to think that actually a friendship has developed out of this which which is always good to have you started volunteering in uh, the social media uh, mm-hmm. side of um, the ISTC. Yes, Don't that you... was nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> that was really throwing me into the deep end. I, I remember that because at that time um, it was actually Info Plus. I'd seen an ad in Info Plus looking for people to help with the marketing, and I thought, okay, this is it. I've got to push myself. I've got to get involved in this society. I'm paying fees, you know, I'm I'm just going to go and see what I can get out of it. And um, it was Rachel Potts at the time was um, the marketing manager. And I remember meeting her in Cambridge. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm running the Twitter account for the ISTC, which was really big for me because at that point, I'd only ever used Facebook to talk to friends. And now I'm being given this Twitter account that I don't know anything about Twitter. I don't mm. know how you tweet to promote a company or a business or society. So, and I never would have learned this on my daily job because, you know, I don't have anything to do with social media and what I do. Um, so it was it was a steep learning curve, but it was really good and it was fantastic experience. 
so we've already said that you've you've only been president for a, a few short months. What's the experience been like for you during that, that period? Have there been any surprises, any high points or low points so far? Ooh, um, it's only been a few months, but, um, yeah, you know, I actually am learning an awful lot. I'm, I'm getting to do things on a regular basis that I wouldn't do. So, um, like, for example, um, I write um, the president's view for every issue of Communicator. Um, and yes, I have written articles for a communicator before, but these are slightly different um, and they're regular. So it's not just a case of, oh, I've, I've got a great idea for an article. I'll take seven months to write it and then, you know, I'll give it to Catherine and she, she may or may not publish it in, in one of her um, issues. You know, the president's view, it's it's very much of, well, you have to do it because this has to go out in every mm. issue. And that's actually really good because it means that in my time management, it has to go in my diary. I have to know the dates of when it's needed and I have to give myself a few days in which to do it in. Um, so that's been good. Um, things like chairing the um, council meetings, that's actually been, re- I've really enjoyed that. I've only had two so far, but I've really enjoyed that. Mm. Um, it's not something I do every day. Um, I attend a lot of meetings every day, but I don't necessarily run them. I tend to just be the person sitting there listening to everyone else talking or asking my own questions. But being responsible for making sure the meeting is is moving on, that people aren't getting sidetracked and that we're we're sticking within a a time limit. um, That's really, really good. It's it's a bit of a challenge, but I really enjoy that. Um, And it's, it's really nice to just like talk to council members and get their thoughts on subjects and hear what they have to say um because sometimes it's things that I wouldn't have thought about um you know someone gives an idea and there's positives and negatives and a, and a lot of the time they're things I never would have even thought of so that's a good experience to, to hear that um coming out of people but yeah it's been good I, I wasn't expecting the amount of emails <laughs> definitely wasn't expecting that <laughs> But it's okay. It's fine. We've we've got a folder dedicated in the email, so it's okay. I'll check it every day, and it's uh-huh. fine. We're getting there. But uh-huh. yeah, that that's probably the one I wasn't expecting so much of. Yeah, there is a lot of email traffic, isn't there? <laughs> 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 okay. Well, thank you, Carol. It's it's been really interesting talking with you, and uh, I, I look forward to further opportunities in in the future. Yeah, thanks, Derek. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Well, that's it for this issue of the ISTC podcast. I'm Derek Cooper, and thank you for listening. Please watch out for the next issue of the podcast coming soon.